You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, episode 28, broadcast in mid-August 2020. Yes, we're still on lockdown, but we're still broadcasting. Today, we present the very first Collectors Roundtable with a very distinguished group of presenters and an outrageous offer of cyber proportions. Don't miss this episode. And now, here's Fraser Hines. Welcome back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, the podcast that explores the world of Doctor Who collecting, Doctor Who collectors, Doctor Who collections, protection of your collectibles, and all things Doctor Who related merchandise. I am happy to present our 28th episode. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I've been collecting Doctor Who since 1981. In 1984, I opened a store in Chicago called Bundles from Britain, one of the first Doctor Who-only stores in Chicago. And we are mentioned in a wonderful book, a book you should have on your bookshelf. It's called Red, White, and Who, the Story of Doctor Who in America. Please get this book. It talks about everything that happened with the world of Doctor Who in the United States. It's from ATB Publishing, and the mention of my company, Bundles from Britain, lands on page 384. And to make it easy, if you go to our website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com, you can find a link to that book on the very first page. Our theme song is Who's Doctor Who? Composed by Barry Mason and Les Reed, performed by Fraser Hines who played Jamie McCrimmon in over 117 Doctor Who episodes, the longest-running character and friend of the podcast. I want to thank everyone who became friends of the podcast this past year. You can support us on Podbean, doctorwhocollectors.podbean.com. You can also shop for some of your favorite Doctor Who collectibles at our eBay store, and you can find it at bit.ly backslash dwcpodcast since everything can't be kept here and I often sell duplicates. We try to keep the prices reasonable. Right now, if you act quickly, I have an ex-library copy of the very first Doctor Who hardcover, The Auton Invasion, for sale. This book is very rare, so add it to your Who collection today. You can hear this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including Podbean. We are a proud member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. You can find out more about that and more great Doctor Who podcasts at DoctorWhoPodcastAlliance.org. Be sure to join us at Chicago TARDIS 2020. Uh, This year, due to the COVID-19 restrictions, uh, this convention will be virtual, so anyone can attend. I will hopefully be presenting my Doctor Who collecting panel from the very Who room which I broadcast this podcast, which means I can share more items than I usually can carry over to the hotel. I often take a lot of boxes to the convention and uh, often late to my next panel as a result, so this will make things a lot easier. It's worth it. Last year we had over 55 people in attendance at that collecting panel. 
You can find out more at chicagotardis.com or by visiting their Facebook page. Join us for the best Chicago Doctor Who experience. We have collection protection, our featured story, and the most outrageous offer coming up. But first, I want to follow up on some previous episodes. We've had some comments left on our website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com, so I wanted to catch up with recognizing a few of those. Andrew Boland writes about episode 26, The Ultimate Collectible. In the interview, Morris actually says he knows of six episodes. He also says it's possible episodes exist in Australia. The six episodes are presumably most likely in the UK. Thank you, Andrew, for that comment. Byron uh, writes about our first episode, The Dalek Book. I really enjoyed this. It was very informative and fun to listen to. Remember, you can always go back to the beginning or you can listen in any order. But the very first first episode, we talk about the very first book ever produced in Doctor Who, the Dalek book. And I walk you through that book very meticulously. So a very it was fun for me to do, and I hope it was fun for you to listen. Andrew Dexter writes about Episode 8, The John Pertwee Annuals. I really enjoyed this. It was very informative and fun to listen to. Thank you, Andrew. If you would like to hear your comment on the podcast, feel free to leave it at DoctorWhoCollectors.com or on our Facebook page at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. After the break, we feature our first Collectors Roundtable with a group of very distinguished Doctor Who collectors. I would like to invite you to take a trip across all of time and space. Join us in the police box as we discuss the worlds of Doctor Who in a completely random order. We discuss it all. TV stories, audio adventures, novels, nonfiction books, and on and on. I'm your host, Eric Branson. I would be very happy if you join me for the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud partner of the Video Junkyard podcast and can be found on most major podcast platforms including SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. You are listening to the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafry. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Enjoy your travels. Up there is the scanner, those are the doors, that is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. And now on the Doctor Who Collectors podcast, we're going to have our very first collector's roundtable. And with me is a group of distinguished collectors, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So we'll start uh, with the furthest uh, guest here, Mr. David uh, Russell. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself? Uh, when uh, when did you start collecting Doctor Who, where you're from, that kind of thing? <laughs> well, I'm from... Scotland originally, as you can probably tell by the accent. Um, I live in England now, um, so I am grand age 48 now. Um, I started collecting probably when I was about, it's difficult to remember because it was because re- I was very, very young at the time, um, probably about seven or eight would be start collecting um, books at that point in time. When the series was on around about then, there wasn't a large amount of collectible activity out there. That's true. Yeah, it sounded like you started about the same time I did. I was 1981. 
for me. Yeah, that would be around. That would be about right. What we right. would call primary school, so junior school here. Yeah. Fantastic. And then we'll go over here to Mr. Chris DeLuca. Tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm Chris DeLuca. I'm from New York. I uh, got into Doctor Who in the mid '80s. Uh, started collecting around the same time. Uh, I was always into collecting comics, magazines, and stuff. So one of my first things I actually even had of Doctor Who was the posters in Starlog magazine. Oh, yeah. Which even before I found Doctor Who, I had Doctor Who collectibles. Mm, very good. Yeah, I remember those Starlogs well. Um, and uh, Elwivis, uh, tell us about you. Uh, I'm from the Chicagoland area, specifically Northwest Indiana. Um, I've been a fan since about 75. I'm 48. So I was about three years old watching with my, uh, my dad, uh, actually collecting. I was kind of more of a late bloomer in that because of the market in Chicago for a kid, my age, you just weren't going to really find anything. Uh, so it was the target books, uh, that I kind of started getting And a friend of mine in the area. It turned out he was a doctor who fan and, uh, he would go to Chicago numerous times and come back with target books that he got out there. And then Walden books near us started carrying them. So I slowly started picking it up that way. Um, so that I, I would probably say around 85 is when I really started, but it was just mainly the books. It wasn't until I was much older and actually had my own disposable income and products started becoming more available in the area that I could really truly collect. That, you know, and that, that brings it to the, point that's why i wanted to start a doctor who store back in 85 because there just wasn't anything to to get and in chicago there was only four places you could go to get doctor who items and if you you know you if you knew where you were going um you were fine but the some some of the comic book stores were late to the game in the 80s even though the 80s was kind of the pinnacle of of Doctor Who merchandising. It really picked up uh, tremendously. So uh, let me go ahead and just ask if you remember specifically what the first Doctor Who collectible you bought and considered it a collectible. Uh, we'll start with that. I'll start with you, Chris. Um, I'm not really sure. I think it might've been an issue of Doctor Who magazine. Um, okay. Like you were saying, it was really hard to find anything mm -hmm. Doctor Who related. So I, since I was a comic book collector, trading card collector, I knew where comic stores were. Certain ones had a few issues of Doctor Who magazine, a few Target books. Other than that, there wasn't really much around to easily find. So it, it, it was probably, I, I definitely remember the first Doctor Who magazine I got, which was a really weird one from that the cover had the old people from Shada on it, which it's still just a really mm -hmm. odd looking cover. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's um, yeah. Doctor Who magazine was one of the few things you could get. The comic book store by me had basically a little, like three shelves on a wall and they had target books. They had a couple of mugs and they had Doctor Who magazine. So of course I bought a book, a magazine and a mug. <laughs> so the magazine I bought was number 72. It had Peter Davison on the cover, had no idea who he was because we hadn't seen him yet in, in, this part of the world. Um, uh, let's go. Uh, Elwivis, uh, tell us, do you remember your first? Um, it wasn't exactly with my money. Uh, right. I <laughs> wasn't with mine either. I was, <laughs> it was kind of bad. This was the late 70s. So Larry, you're going to know this from the Chicago area, especially with the, with the uh, drives that Marty Robinson would run oh, yeah. on Channel 11. Sure. I've met Marty. And uh, yeah. there was a great Doctor Who drive that introduced the picture disc. And I wanted that disc so bad. Now, if you pledge $100, um, well, I called the number. 
I punched my mom's money uh, to get that picture disc. I had no, again, when you figure out age, I was probably about nine years old, nine, 10 years old. Didn't understand the concept really of money uh, and how that exactly worked other than that's how you get stuff. So I had called it in, took care of it. A couple weeks later, a package shows up with my name on it. And my mom's trying to figure out what this is from WTTW, opens it up, and there's also a bill. There's the PBS magazine that yeah. they put out monthly of all the shows. And she sees the picture disc and realizes what happened. But um, her and my dad were, were great enough to forgive me that time. Let me keep the picture disc, which I still have. Um, so I, I would definitely say that is, that is truly my first real collectible that I could consider from Doctor Who. The magazines and stuff, much later, but that that was my one collectible that really means a lot. Now, do you remember specifically that particular picture disc? Because I have the same one. I mm-hmm. got it from WTTW. Um, were the doctors reversed on the cover on that on that album? I didn't get lucky to get the uh, reversed. I have that one. They they I'm did trying the doc- to track that one. Yeah, they do that. The, the doctors are are actually. Um, if you got one that was from left to right, Hartnell to Davison. Mine is Davison to Hartnell. So they had reversed the doctor image on a few of those. So those are those are pretty hard to come by. But that one came from Channel Eleven. I also yep. have the other one too that I I got commercially. Oh. But it's a it's a yeah that that was a Sound great effect. our our public television <laughs> station in Chicago used to give away premiums with. Uh, your pledges basically because uh, that they were you know that was great and of course when Doctor Who was aired they had they had raised the most money so they kept that going and Marty Robinson was was kind of the guy behind that whole thing um, and uh, of course uh, David tell us about your first collectible you probably started about the same time I did yeah it's 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 difficult it's a bit like Chris it's difficult to remember exactly which one of that it was one of Target boots and I think it probably was the Loch Ness monster. Probably because I'm Scottish, it seemed the most reasonable book to, to select off the shelf. Um, I still have it somewhere okay. up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so I think that would probably be one like that from a small bookshop um, where my parents had a holiday home. So I we travelled into this small small town, and there was a bookshop, and it had all had a lot of books on it which I hadn't seen because I was from a very very small. Wow, um, so I was completely blown away that I could actually say, choose one. <laughs> Which one do you do? <laughs> I, I know it's it's simply it, it's amazing. Of course, where 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 you live, uh, uh, David, it, it's it's um, much more prevalent in bookstores to find those Doctor Who books since they were published in England. Um, yeah. Over here, it, it completely depended on upon them being imported, and. Yeah. The um, the big import didn't actually happen for Target Books until 1985. That was the first year that a company called Lyle Stewart uh, in New York uh, made a deal with W.H. Allen to import books. And so they got the Target Books. And a lot of bookstores didn't want them here. They were like, we don't know what this is. We're not sure what it's going to be. But the comic book dealers were starting to pick up on it, especially uh, in Chicago, and if you're from around Chicago, Larry Charette was a big name, and uh, he started the he started Comic Con. Basically, he's the the guy behind the Chicago mini conventions, and that grew into the national um, thing. But he got a hold of a bunch of these books and charged five dollars each back in '85, which probably be about ten or twelve today. 
So he was getting them because he was the only one that had them. Um, really, real, uh, real cool stuff. I'm going to go to the next question here of what do you consider to be your most valuable collectible, whether it be an in, of intrinsic value or monetary? We'll start with uh, this here. Oh, wow. That's, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> because I've started getting into buying props and costume pieces and set pieces uh, from people I can get, get in touch with. Uh, but probably I've like, I'll start on one type of thing to collect. And I try to focus on that more than some of the other side things until I can get almost all of them. And then maybe I'll shift over. And um, I have a friend of mine, Damian Mays, who's actually done covers for big, big finish audios. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to know him over the years and uh, have become really close friends with him. And he has done uh, a series of graphic art prints called, basically the doctor and the Daleks. Like I have one, well, a couple of them right back here with mm. John Hurt and Capaldi. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. That are up on the wall right now. And my goal was I want to get an original autograph of every single doctor. Mm. So um, I've been doing that for years and wanting to frame them with his prints or those that are still living to sign on his print. And I've got most of them. Hartnell, and Troughton were hardest ones to get, but I found a dealer in the UK uh, who was very legitimate, uh, got some uh, checking just to make sure that they were correct, and, and I got myself a Hartnell. So I would say that's probably my absolute um, most cherished of, of my collectibles that I've gotten on my own. So, Oh, fantastic. And uh, so, Chris, your most valuable piece. Um, I also have a lot of props and costumes from the show. I think the one that is probably, it was one of the first ones I got. It was probably the most important one for me is the Enlightenment helmet and back and oh. chest piece from the spacesuits that they had. Nice. Um, I had wound up getting that in a huge lot that I had bought back in the 90s with a lot of other props and costumes and other Doctor Who stuff. Um, it's just the fact that it's, totally identifiable it's only from those episodes and it's you know it's it's a 3d thing it's not just mm -hmm. like a piece of paper and right. it's been the one thing that's always been on display throughout the years okay it reminds me of david j howe talks about his trojan horse yep you know the, he's got the actual trojan horse from the myth makers mm -hmm. in his in his museum so fantastic uh david your most valuable collectible i think it's it's for me it's it's a collection aspect of them so because I start because I started collecting the Target books from a very young age, and you would wait for the next one to come out. And I had a period of collecting them all. Then I went to university, and basically my disposable income fell through the floor <laughs> right. as it does when you're, when you're studying. Um, and so I missed an awful lot of them, and and they didn't. They were very difficult to find mm -hmm. back in the days before the internet, etc. So. Make, finally making that collection and make, getting the last book and so much so to make you laugh um, I bought my first I bought my first house my first apartment um, and on the day that I sealed the deal to collect the keys I had to send my mother to collect the keys because I was off to the book fair to try and find the last book which was the macro terror and mm -hmm. my mother still to this day still finds it bonkers that people should be getting excited about buying a new apartment no nope, i was away getting a book <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. no, I've, waited, I've waited too long. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, you know what? That's uh, you know when when it's funny because when I when I do those collectors panels and you know the the title of the of the panel is uh, Doctor Who collecting tips from a professional collector, and I usually have to start by saying the difference between a professional collector and a hoarder is is a fine line. <laughs> And so it's, uh, it, it's yeah. kind of, you know, when, uh, in a lot of times, you know, you're, you're in a particular place and it's usually, a an opportunity that you grab yeah. something that, Oh, wow, I got to get that. And, you know, for, for me, it's, it's, it's tough to, to, define one I'll, i'm i'm you know i agree with um i this here my my probably my most prized one is i have a first doctor who annual in mint condition signed by william hartnell wow um, he signed a bunch of them just unpersonalized 1965 i've had the signature verified i've had that for over 35 years i bought it at the second convention i ever went to and i paid 300 dollars for it back in 1986 so it was a you know quite a you know for the for the time that was a lot of money but uh it's still i kept it in really nice shape the other thing um that i consider to be a lucky find was uh i was at a estate sale about three blocks from where i live which is in uh mm -hmm. west of chicago illinois and he had a box full of these yellow envelopes and i said wow these are kind of neat so they all said property of bbc so i went through each one of them and i found one that I really wanted. So I took that and the person said, oh, that's a dollar. I said, here you go. I probably should have bought the whole box, but uh, I just took the one. And it was an internal BBC envelope that belonged to a man who worked in the electrical department at the BBC. So it included a full script to the city of death, final revised, uh, Douglas Adams, including all of his electrical notes um, the internal envelope and a note inside about his pension plan and a complete record of his personnel record. So that's how I was able to trace who the guy was. And he had actually retired from the BBC and moved to live with his daughter about three blocks away from me and passed away uh, about a year ago. Wow. So that was a lucky find. And it's, uh, it's tough to find. I remember David, I showed it to David J. Howe and he said, this can't be a full script, but then he realized it was back to back. And he said, only the electrical folks and the production crew got full scripts. The actors just got their parts usually. So getting a full script and I followed it along with the program. It was really quite amazing that it was the actual final thing. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of those things. I, um, I don't know if you can see behind me over here, this uh, below the Dalek poster, that's an original um, artwork of the Radio Times cover from 1972, which was the Day of the Daleks when it premiered. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, Frank, that, Frank Bellamy art. Really, Frank Bellamy is the artist? Yeah, Frank Bellamy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can't see it on the wall, but I've also got Walt Honath's uh, hand-drawn cover of the second Troughton Annual that he signed, and he's no longer with us, sadly. Yeah. Um, but uh, just just some really nice things that came that came along over over a period of time. Just uh, just things that kind of I wouldn't have imagined owning. Very cool. Um, so we'll talk about the next thing here. What do you consider to be the biggest? pitfall in collecting Doctor Who. Um, and so we'll start with uh, with David here on that from the Scottish perspective here. <laughs> uh, I think, okay, there's, there's two sides to this. The biggest one is how many people out there, when, when things come out um, to be collected, um, over here we have 
what were called the B and M stores, which are stores mm -hmm. that they release, and they have limited edition um, a, like Tardis sets, etc. And they come out, and people will go to these stores and they they buy buy them all up, and then they sell them on eBay for ridiculous amounts of money. Um, so that's always a difficulty with the guys. I I find that really annoying when you are genuine collectors out there are just wanting it for the pleasure of owning it and they, they feel they end up having to spend horrendous amounts of money on it. I don't, I refuse and I've missed out on collectibles because I just bluntly can't afford to spend that amount of money on it. So that's probably the big thing that really does annoy me. That I completely agree. Chris, your, your thoughts? Um, the the most difficult thing about collecting Doctor Who is collecting Doctor Who. <laughs> In the United <laughs> States, there, there's almost no place to find anything. You know, mm -hmm. Most other fandoms, you can walk into a comic store, a bookstore, most stores and get something. Uh, Doctor Who has always been the hardest thing to get. You know, like you were saying, the, you know, the books and the magazines, those are relatively easy to find at one point. But now you can't go into a store and buy an action figure. You can't go into the store and, and get anything other than maybe the comic books, even the magazines are getting hard to find, um, especially in the last you know year or so. So it, it's, it's a fandom that in the United States is just almost impossible to collect. There's lots of things in my collection that I've never seen another one in person other than the one in my collection, mm -hmm. because there's just no stores that carry anything. All right, I'll, I'll leave this. Uh, just jumping on with the same thing, like what David said, um, with getting those things like from BNM, I've been lucky to have friends in the UK that they get me the material, you know, whatever it is I want that, that becomes exclusives out there. And then they'll ship them out here um, in bulk packages, uh, like the current run of uh, the BNMs that have, that, that have just come out. And I'm just waiting for one more Patrick Troughton and TARDIS before he ships everything to me. Uh, that's supposed to come in this week. So I'm excited about that, but probably the most, uh, relationships in room um thank god my wife uh, i don't know how many other women could put up with me with my collecting <laughs> because well family does come first but i do plasma so i can pay for materials for my classroom as i'm a teacher but then the little extra that i'll have off to the side that i always squirrel away to go towards specific collectibles like i know there's somebody out there that may get their hands on a specific script um and I really want that script, you know, like uh, I, I'm trying right now to get one from every doctor's era. I'm almost there. Jody, I want a Jody so bad. I have someone that can probably get me a Jody and we'll probably be able to in the next couple of months. So I'm squirreling away a little money here and there mm -hmm. uh, to make sure I can afford that. My wife will just look at me and shake her head and goes, well, it's your blood money. So she's OK with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, to be able to have the room downstairs and and put all this stuff together uh that that's always been fun especially when some people just look and go they're just toys why do you have toys in a glass case i don't understand this you know i see the funko pops and i see how people are addicted to those i hate funko pops until my wife bought me a stupid doctor who one i'm going i'm never gonna buy a funko even if it's doctor who i just those things are dumb she gets me one for christmas it's her fault <laughs> because <laughs> then she got me one for easter and then one of my kids bought me another one for easter and now i've got like almost the entire line of Doctor Who Funkos. That's probably been the, the, the difficulty is, you know, what do you buy or not buy? Um, 
especially when, you know, you got to put money everywhere else and, and you mm. see something you want so bad and it's like, Oh, do I pay for it or not? You know? Yeah. I so. hear you. I hear you. And, and David kind of brushed on one of my next points here that I'll bring back in was this uh, price gouging, um, which uh, I, I honestly was nice to hear somebody from the UK speak about it because it's been mostly aimed at American sellers, but I understand that um, this happens frequently in England, especially with, uh, I went, um, I actually did a podcast where I talked about the big finish vinyl recordings that go to Sainsbury's. And I actually talked to Nicholas Briggs about that. He actually called, you know, I wrote into his podcast and he was great to address the problem that he said that they were unable to make a deal with any U.S. distributors because nobody was interested. So what happened was these people were going into Sainsbury's and it says on the product, you can buy one. But then, you know, they go outside, they put a hat on, go back and buy another one, go on a different checkout line. They buy six or seven and the price is not too bad. But then you get to eBay or one of the used record sites and you're looking at 100 or 150 or 200 dollars. And I said, well, that's just not right. And and Nick Briggs was great. He actually said that is a horrible thing. Nobody should be doing that. I wish we could do more to stop it. Um, the same thing with the action figures or with things like the sonic screwdriver set which i was able to get a hold of directly from uh the manufacturer but you couldn't find it anywhere else i mean amazon sold out of them pretty fast because people were buying 50 of those and and then now you see them on ebay for 300 400 dollars yeah. um it just seems a bit crazy that um that's that's one of one of my major sticking points and i talked about it i talk about it in many of my episodes that it's been a been a problem and some sellers have taken issue with me on that and saving saying well it's my right to name a price and i said well it's my right not to buy it mm. and i'm just going to let it go and and eventually you're going to um either lower the price it's like um every once in a while you'll see a copy of doctor who and the auton invasion the classic hardcover which is the first wh allen cover i do have a copy in my collection uh, i've had it for quite some time but you'll see them in various conditions starting at $600 on up. And I've talked with many collectors and they said the top end of that should be around three to 400 at the most. It's not that, you know, it's not that, you know, expensive, but that's what you're seeing is this uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to clean up with this. I've got this book. I'm going to see what I can get and try to um, go to the doctor who collector and, and really feast on that, desire to obtain something and and see if they'll they'll put that out there uh which which uh, i'm going to go to the next thing here is uh, is there an item that you really want to obtain but you can't find it or can't get it and uh we'll start with david on that one uh, so i think probably for me it's it's an auto it's an autograph and unlike um it's uh, you're not really collecting so much of the, the doctors I've been collecting all the companions, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the one that I'm missing, and I would love to get my hands on, is a genuine Ian Martyr, oh, Harry Sullivan God. photograph. Because um, obviously, too many conventions for that, um, and he passed away before the big American convention, so he wasn't really particularly signing too often out there. <clears throat> so, being able to lay my hands on that one, I think, uh, because I've got. I think I've got pretty much all the rest. I think I'm just waiting for a, <clears throat> a couple of the new. I'm waiting for um, Mandip Gill and Tosin Cole 
to see if I can catch him then. But apart from that, I've got everybody else. Fantastic. Um, I've, I've met Tozen Cole. He's a great guy. <laughs> just a, just a really him. wonderful guy. Um, uh, Eluthus. I'm going to get that right. <laughs> um, it's kind of a three-way tie. Um, like David was saying, I'm, I'm trying to get a Jacqueline Hill autograph. I was lucky enough to get an Ian Martyr about a year and a half ago uh, from someone in the UK who had gotten it way back in the early 80s from a playbill uh, of something that he was in. But uh, yeah, Jacqueline Hill is a, is a big autograph I've been trying to get my hands on. A Waris Hussein, which um, shouldn't be too difficult, I would think, uh, but it just still seems hard for me to be able to, to, to get one of his. But then probably my absolute would be the hardcover to the five doctors just because the first target book I ever purchased was the paperback edition of the five doctors. And I would just love, uh Oh, it's about to make me jealous here. You're really sick right now. That's, that is the one I absolutely want. It'd be great to get an unearthly child, but that five doctors, just because of the sentimentality, I, I desperately would love to get my hands on one of those. I hate you. <laughs> so, and, I, and unfortunately, I, I, I'm putting myself out there saying I desperately want to get my hands on it. So someone will probably come back later and go, I've got it. Let's make a deal. And since you deal. want it so badly, let's yes. talk about up here. So, oh. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll just, I'll throw this in here. But back when, when I did start that Doctor Who store in 1985, I did, um, I had an amazing thing happen um, with uh, my partner and I, Gene Smith was my partner Gene. back in the day. So we called Lyle Stewart in New York and we were placing a Target book order because we were getting ready to do the 1985 Spirit of Light convention in Chicago, the big one. That's the one where they had, you know, Pert and Trout and Pertwee and all that. It was, it was amazing. And the guy on the phone said, hey, would you be interested in any of the hardcover editions? And we put the phone down and said, heck yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so he said, well, we can't give those away. Nobody wants them. Libraries don't want them. Stores don't want them. So what do you think? And so we thought, well, it's only money. Let's, I'll, we'll take it all. So um, about a week later, Gene calls me up. I go over to his place and seven large boxes were delivered. Uh, our target book order was in a smaller box, but we opened these boxes and they were stuffed with the Doctor Who hardcovers. This is one of the books from that hall. We each took a, a book a piece to kind of do that. And then the, the fun, I guess the, the head scratching part of that whole thing is we never got a bill. Wow. <laughs> and we're, of course, we are a business. So we are trying to, reconcile our accounts and so gene calls up lyle stewart and says um we never got an invoice oh let's see i've got your got your target book invoice here and uh i don't show any orders for anything else so i said well we talked to this gentleman oh i don't know who that is so apparently they wanted to dump them they were i guess they were one step from going into a dumpster ripping the covers oh. off and throwing them away so i thought wow <laughs> <laughs> we that might have been around the time of the grab bag that they 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 had offered in the back of their uh books because yes. i remember ordering from the grab bag and i got like two to three times as much as what i was supposed to get in there that's where i got my first hardcovers i got a signed peter haining uh 
the the key to time book that he he had I, the, the second one not celebration i think it's called key to time my brain yeah. right now there's Sign. key to time celebration yeah there's, yep. there's a couple of those yeah they, especially the, the leather bound editions were very hard to find and um, i was just shocked by that three times as much as what was supposed to be in there so that that makes a lot of sense just yep, take it lyle stewart of course lyle stewart filed for bankruptcy in the early 90s um wh allen just could not unload that's why the the classic hardcovers started going into lower print runs which is why the last few hardcovers are screamingly hard to find um because they only had a print run of 500 and a lot of them didn't sell and a lot of them just got tossed um there were rumors of reprints and things like that so having um we were the only dealer at spirit of light that had these hardcover editions and we, by the way, we charged $15, which was the actual retail price. We did not gouge them. And we sold out of them in the weekend. I, I think we did $20,000 in sales that weekend. It was just um, unbelievable. Um, the other part of that convention I'll share that was amazing was that we were at our table and John Pertwee walked up to our table, picked up a copy of Moon Boots and said, do you think it's a good likeness? <laughs> and, <laughs> And he picked up a copy of the cave monsters and he's looking at all this. He's like, wow, look at all this stuff. <laughs> and it was just a lot of fun, you know, and back then they didn't, I guess they didn't have handlers. They were just wandering around. And that's how I got to shake Patrick Troughton's hand in the lobby. Um, I, he just walked, walked by me and I said, sir, it's a pleasure to meet you. And he goes, I, I'm not sure what the, what the excitement is. No one's ever seen my stuff here. So, you know, the first time that, Trouton was shown here was at that convention. The Crotons was on the big screen, and uh, and he came out afterwards, and it, it was you know with him and Fraser and Wendy Padbury and Deborah Watling, and it was it was just an amazing uh, experience back you know back in the day. And did Chris, you get to witness the water gun? Yes, battle? I saw the the, the super. I wish I I was grounded from going to that convention, which my mother to this day. Even now, which is hilarious, I'm going to be 48, and she still brings up once in a while about collecting. She goes, "I regret not letting you go to that." I got to, I had the chance to go with a friend, and she was upset about one of my grades and said, "No, you oh. can't go. Your grades too." It was like a C minus, and she's like, "Nope, nope, nope. You should have studied harder. I'm not letting you go to this." It and started, then he came back talking about the water gun battle that started small. It started and just with got a bigger glass and bigger. Of, a glass of water. Uh, yeah. Patrick Troughton took a glass of water and put it in Pertwee's face and Pertwee took out a squirt gun and, and then Trotten had a bigger squirt gun. And then Pertwee went behind the curtain and came out with a super soaker. It was, it was hilarious. Um, but that wasn't the funniest moment of the convention at night. They did the cabarets mm -hmm. and uh, Norman Rubinstein was the head of spirit of light. He was the showrunner of that convention. And, and he was sitting in the first row and Peter Davison was on stage with his guitar doing a song. And Norman, I guess, had not had a chance to take a break all night and he had to use the restroom. So in the middle of the song, he gets up and he tries to sneak out and Peter Davison stops and says, stop, nobody leaves my act. <laughs> Spotlight went on him. It was just, it was just hilarious. And, uh, there were so many great moments. I mean, Tom Baker coming on stage at the end because he refused to go on stage with the rest of the doctors. And I guess John Pertwee stepped down and said, come on, old fellow, get up there. They want you. And he went up there and waved to the crowd and the crowd went wild. And um, he just was very, um, you know, it, it was just an amazing thing to see, you know, Baker, Troughton, Pertwee, Davison, Colin Baker had just been hired, uh, John Nathan Turner, 
Um, it was just fun. And and before before I lose this topic here, uh, Chris, uh, you're you know something you you really want but can't find. Uh, I mean, most of the things you can find. See, I am a different type of collector. I'm not a completist anymore. Mm. I am a very frugal one. If I find something cheap enough, I'll, I'll get it. Um, I'm willing to wait. I'll wait years for something, and then you know, as soon as I find it for the right price, I'll get it. Uh, that being said, the two things I would wish I had in my collection is the Dennis, the Dennis Fisher Cyberman figure. Oh, um, that's I, a hard one a few, to find. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have a few of the other ones. I have yeah. the Tom Baker, the Leela, the uh, giant robot, the TARDIS, but I don't have the Cyberman. I'm a big Cyberman collector too. So not having that is kind of like, that That would be the one I want to get, but I'm not willing to spend the hundreds of dollars that these things go for. Um, yeah, the other thing would be yeah. the uh, Doctor Pinball Machine. I would love to have one mm-hmm. of those. My brother and has there's one. actually one available <laughs> relatively close to me, but mm. it's... A little too out of my budget right now. Um, and that pinball machine requires a lot of maintenance. Uh, my, my younger mm-hmm. brother is a video game arcade collector, and he has a Doctor Who pinball. And it took him months to fix the Dalek on the top to, mm-hmm. to be right. It just was too many moving parts, and it was tended to break down. Um, but um, that yeah, that's a nice thing. The Cyberman, the Dennis Fisher Cyberman, and and even the Italian version of that, very difficult to find. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a Leela and a Tom Baker, and my Tom Baker is signed by... Uh, Louise Jameson, Elizabeth Sladen, and John Leeson. Um, so, um, and hmm. I, I've got a talking K nine, but he doesn't talk anymore. Uh, <laughs> the record—it's a little record in there, and it cracked. Yeah. Um, the um, and I guess uh, the 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 things that those are those are very you know the Dennis Fisher. Um, you know, I managed to get a War of the Daleks board game. Uh, no, yeah, I got one of those. Got a couple of those, and just uh, just some things that were. Uh, but I, I think the uh, the hardest stuff to find are those are those minuscule short run Dalek things that came out during you know right after the Daleks aired in 1963. Oh, the Rollikins. Yeah, Rollikins. the Rollikins, or um, it's in within reach here. But I managed to find um, um, I got a Dalek pencil uh, from 1965. It, it is it is an official product. It's uh, it's. It came in the came in the case, but there are so many of these things that came out that you can't really, you know, if even if you're doing a Dalek search, you're not going to find everything because people are like, well, I don't even know what this is. And so, so many Dalek items came out in the in the early '60s, and it's just you know, including the the figures and the pencils and the um, there were pins and there were all kinds of things. And so, it's just it's going to be very difficult if if you're looking at trying to get everything, <laughs> it's it's not going to be possible. Um, but that's um, you know, I'm I'm happy whenever something comes along that I've never seen before, or somebody will email and say, "Have you ever seen one of these?" I'm like. Nope, I haven't. Um, in fact, uh, the uh, later in the program, I do I do a segment called the most outrageous offer, where I find an item that is priced really crazy. And somebody had emailed me uh, an original Tomb of the Cybermen helmet came on the auction block at Sotheby's, and they want twelve thousand dollars for it. So they're not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to get that, but um, 
so um, and so how uh, is there a specific way that you display or protect your collection? I know most of us are in our, our who environments right now. Uh, so any any particular uh, things that that work for you? And um, I'll start with David again. Uh, not not really to a certain extent. I'll be honest. Um, I keep an awful lot of the things still in the original boxes, the TARDIS mm -hmm. sets, the B&M sets. I keep them in their boxes. Um, my my books are in a fairly deep bookshelf because I don't like the mm. sun to catch them in any way, shape, or form. Because so of the fading, right? Yeah. Further back, if you can see there, I have to actually reach a good distance in mm. to get to them. Um, but to be perfectly honest, I've never really been the sort of person for the display, the glass kind of display situations. And my collections are... There's nothing that's desperately valuable apart from my autographs, which are in really good autograph holders mm -hmm. and the ones, the acidic free ones that make sure that they, have, they won't damage the pictures or the autographs, etc. Okay, fantastic. Chris, anything special? Um, no, not really. I mean, uh, some of the older books and magazines, comics, et cetera, I'll, I'll keep in some, uh, you know, plastics with, you know, backing boards. For the most part, most of it's just on display open part mm -hmm. of it because I'm never really sure how I want to display it. So I right, move things right. around and then I'm always getting new stuff. So it just kind of winds up in a pile of like, where am I fitting that in? So it's, it's, it's an ever changing display. I hear you there. I'm doing the same thing because my, I'm only limited to these four walls here. So, uh, <laughs> um, um, I've been lucky that I've tracked down, uh, like display cases, a comic shop that had gone under a few years back. I got one of their display cases that I put all my uh, character options. Well, each of the doctors you can see, and that's all that can really fit in there. Everything else is stored in boxes. And I like to shift them around. Uh, school um, got rid of one of their old 1970s style uh, library display cases, a glass case that I jumped on for 50 bucks. Uh, it, I mean, it's huge. It's like, five feet tall by about six feet wide um, that I have all my uh, big chief studio figures in and a couple other things like the 13 doctor collector set. So I just put them all in that. The target books uh, because of you, Larry, I I've been uh, <laughs> looking through bags unlimited so I can yes, get, yes. I'm at the point that I need just because of dusting, it's gotten yes. to be so much of constantly dusting that it's just easier. I need to get those bags to put all the books in. Um, hardest one then is even the magazines because the size shifts. Yeah, it's getting harder for more than newer in the last two year, two three years worth of Doctor Who magazines. They're such an odd size; they no longer sit the magazine size uh, comic bags. So bags unlimited again. I'm trying to hopefully uh, get the right size to put the newer ones in for for saving. A shameless plug because uh, I've been using bags unlimited since 1981. And they've been around forever, and they have a they have a great selection of of, of good size bags for archival long term storage, uh, which is why I was I was great to find bags that fit the hardcover editions perfectly. They're not it's not folded over like a com you know the old days comic book bags, and then you had this big flap that you had to fold over. Yeah. This is actually called a jumbo paperback bag, but it fit the the six by nine. I need to write that down, jumbo paper. 
Yeah, it's it's called uh, the the code on the code on it is SBJ by the way, real easy, and oh, these are perfect. great. And I know I I helped a couple of folks in the UK uh, get a hold of these because I know they they are in the United States, but they do ship to the UK. Um, I was finding because everybody was like, well, where did you find those bags that fit the hardcovers? I'm like, well, they're at Bags Unlimited, and BagsUnlimited.com is the website. Uh, they're not a sponsor; they're just one of my favorite. Uh, people. Um, the only bags that I've not been able to find that um, that would fit the old Radio Times. Um, I recently picked up a copy of Radio Times from Spearhead from Space. It has John Pertwee on the cover, and it's a different size than the one with Five Doctors from 1983, because those have changed, kind of like the American TV guides used to be uh, digest-sized, and now they're magazine-sized, and now I don't even know if they print them anymore. But um, it was um, amazing, several editions of the Radio Times that had Doctor Who on the cover, and not very often, but uh, those are those are really um, hard to fit. The other one I had to fit was a full-size Cinderella program that had uh, Peter Davison, Anthony Ainley, and Sandra Dickinson. I have one folded, one unfolded, and the unfolded one was almost impossible to find something to fit it, to keep it flat. And um, those were hard to find flat because a lot of them were folded even at the theater. So it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge uh, to find the right the right fit for protecting. And I don't use any special display cases. I basically have, you can kind of see behind me, it's just a shelf um, in areas. Uh, I've got the annuals behind me. The hardcovers are uh, the, to my left and the target books are kind of out of uh, camera range and all that, but uh, just just something that you, where I can find things and I've got locations in case I need to, because uh, right now I'm, I'm helping. Um, if, you, if you're not listening to one of the one of the podcasts, I, I frequent is the uh, Target Book Club podcast, um, and they're getting ready to start the Tom Baker era, and he did not have copies of the Junior Doctor Who books to compare those. So I had both the Brain of Morbius and Giant Robot, and I sent those over to them to they're going to take pictures of the pages so their panel can read them and uh, because they're just, they're, they're not around anymore. And uh, just so there's a lot of, of fun things to, to, to do. Um, one of the things that uh, I still have is, you know, how it all started when I joined the many companions of Dr. Who back in the day, I still have my membership certificate. Oh, wow. As you can see, this was hand drawn. This was uh, drawn by the late Bill Eubanks. He was a member of the club and a professional artist and he was able to capture, these are all images of the doctor from the Starlog 20th anniversary magazine that he just basically can drew. And um, it's, it's um, I was companion number 117 uh, out of 300, I believe. So those were hand drawn back in the day, 1912, uh, December 8th, 1984. So some great stuff. Um, and so, Right now, just to kind of open things up, are there any open questions that you'd like to ask? I was just wondering about, um, obviously, the difference between items here in the UK and items in America, because obviously one of the things that's coming out here is um, the vinyl editions, mm -hmm. LP editions of the of original stories, and I think the, the collections are beautiful. They're beautifully done. How because vinyl is having a huge, big resurgence here in the UK, and I just don't know how big they are over there. Well, actually, they're they're being sold here because one of the things that uh, helped with the vinyls was Amazon was carrying them. And so, nice thing about Amazon is that if whatever your login is for Amazon, it works on the American site, the UK site, the French site, the Japanese site. So I was able to order, let's say, the Dalek Master Plan audio 
uh, on vinyl uh, from Amazon UK. I also have the Abominable Snowmen and the Tomb of the Cybermen and a few other things. Uh, I'm really a big vinyl person myself. Uh, actually, one of one of my uh, one of my rare vinyls is I've got the full album of Bulla Makanka. They did Doctor Who's Gonna Fix It. And I've got the actual full, the full LP uh, from them. It was a uh, side two track one. It was just called Dr. Who on their album. And that's, uh, that was a huge hit for them uh, that BBC records bought. Uh, the other one is uh, Jim Burrell. I don't know if you know who he is. He was a folk singer and he did a song called the doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've done it on one of the podcasts. I have his album too, because he didn't do a single with that one. And that's um, in the back, it's got a drawing of the TARDIS and the big scarf around a figure um so yeah vinyl was a was a huge still it's actually pretty huge here as well i think vinyl is uh turntables have come out again and i know big finish was putting out a lot of their stuff on vinyl so absolutely yeah um, they're releasing i think the time lord victorious set which is yes. coming out with that i think there's two of them are coming out on vinyl mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely uh anybody else question open questions uh, what about um, product uh, companies or product lines for you guys? Is there any that you like in particular? Uh, for me, the uh, product enterprise, I love all the stuff that they came out with. I wish they would have continued on. Um, they, just the fact that they all talk and, you know, they're, they're huge sizes in some of them. They, they, it's one of the ones that I wish I had everything of besides Eagle Moss. Eagle Moss, I would love to have everything of too. <laughs> Yeah, I love Eagle Moss. They're one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I, 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 as far as product lines today, I haven't really settled on any anyone. Of course, Big Finish is one of my favorite um, uh, lines. They've been they they were uh, single handedly responsible for saving Doctor Who um, back when back in the uh, late you know late eighties, early nineties when when things were just not looking good anywhere. Um, in fact, I'll never forget asking Sylvester McCoy, how did you feel when they canceled Doctor Who? And he said to me, I can't tell you, there are small children in the room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as the, um, there, there are so many different companies producing things. I have a, uh, I have a Doctor Who, uh, Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who purse that came to me um, that they, they call it a satchel bag, but it's a purse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, th- that that was produced by a one-off company, um, and then of course there were um, offshoots of the BBC. I mean, the first book was put out by Souvenir Press, which didn't really exist. It was a it was a made-up name from the BBC's book division because they didn't know what to call it. And then eventually, World Distributors became the annual publishing co- publishing company, and now it's BBC Books. Um, even the original Moon Boots and Dinner Suits was put out by a different book company, and now BBC Books has has those again. So there's so many different um, companies out there that are, you know, the, you know. I asked David J. Howe how many companies produce Doctor Who. He says, "Well, how much time do you have?" <laughs> it's uh, there's so many. Um, I'll with us. Any, any open questions? Not really open questions. No, other than. Uh... I need scripts. <laughs> I, I'm so jealous of you when I remember when you were telling that story of how you found the city of death. And I'm like, that's like one of my all time favorite um, uh, yeah, later yeah. stories from Baker. And I, I just love that story so much. I can't get enough of it from the humor and everything else. I, I, I love Duggan. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But just knocking everybody out. That's his answer to everything. I just love that. I just watched it the other day. But uh, yeah, when you said that, I'm like, oh, here I am trying to get scripts and you came across that. That that's just such an amazing 
find, you know, when, when you can come across something like that without even realizing it, which is, which is awesome. That's why I pull over when I see an estate sale. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you never know. I mean, like, even if I'm like, I'm not really interested, but I got to take a look. Yeah. Um, and I'm not related to Dr. Who, but another estate sale, I was going through the record bin and I found a really nice uh, find. It was uh, the Beatles' very first album, Tony Sheridan and the Beat Brothers. Wow. From 1962. It was oh. what it had my Bonnie on it, which is what got them recognized in England. And uh, I thought, well, I hadn't seen one of these. It was on a German label. It was a German release. And this guy had it in his collection. It had a sticker on it. But I said, I'll take it for a dollar. You know, no problem. The record was in great shape. And um, you never know what you're you never know what you're going to find. You know, it's uh, I know uh, one of the things uh, that Gene Smith did after after I sold the company back to him is he took a trip to England and visited every yard sale and every bookstore. And, you know, and he came up, he found a set of uh, of, of um, let's see, from the chase, you know, the mechanoids. Yeah. A woman had a whole box of these mechanoids in her yard. And she's like, how much for the whole box? And she's like, why would you want those? He's like, I want them. <laughs> and I think he, I think he paid a few pounds for them. So um, just you know that that's the that's the whole idea. It's, uh, it, it's sometimes uh, you're looking for something. Sometimes things find you. And so that's uh, Larry. Related to what you said, obviously about finding that script for basically uh, was it a dollar? Did you say was a dollar? Yeah, one dollar. With you guys, and you guys have got what's your best deal? What's the best thing you've found? a price that you didn't expect. That's probably it. That script was probably what um, I had no idea that was going to be. In fact, I'll grab it off the shelf here and show you real quick. Well, my, my best deal was um, what I had mentioned earlier where I had bought a doctor's collection of stuff. Uh, it was you know, a bit pricey. I don't know if you can see but it But I wound up... But it, it, it got delivered to me. It was about four or five boxes of stuff, a box full of just off-air recordings of the show, multiple props from Doctor Who, Blake Seven, some original artwork, magazines, everything. That's probably the best deal I'll ever get, and I'll probably chase that deal for the rest of my life. Probably mine would be just uh, getting lucky sounds terrible in a way off somebody up like an estate sale uh oh i i really despise you <laughs> um and uh someone had contacted you know alien entertainment i i constantly get things through that that's where i've got my uh big finish subscriptions through is is them and then the 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 other large store um who north america i also try to support all the time with with both shops and um, who North America had ended up uh, being contacted by somebody whose um, father had passed away. They didn't know how to get rid of all these uh, things that he had in a storage room of all Doctor Who. He had almost every single Doctor Who magazine. And uh, so that came in. They knew at the time that I was trying to track down magazines and, and made a great deal with me to be able to purchase about 300 issues and average maybe about um, three, three dollars a piece, if that, uh, to be able to get them all. And, and they worked a little deal so I could pay it off in a couple months. Cause they knew I, I was good for it. I was going to do it. So to me, that was a great, great deal to be able to just fill it in like that. Um, 
So that's probably one of the best. And then, of course, uh, getting my hands on a, on a Hartnell autograph, which uh, probably was the most expensive autograph I have ever paid for. And according to people, I still got a pretty good deal at, a, at about $350. Uh, granted, it was a pre it was a pre Doctor Who autograph. Uh, it was from an autograph book of, you know, of all kinds of people this person had collected over the years um, there in the UK. And one of them just happened to be his. And I believe it was 1962. Mm. He had he had dated it as well. So uh, and to me, that's probably one of the better ones to get it for for as cheap as I did for as perfect a condition autograph as well. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, his autograph is is very difficult to find. He also stopped signing autographs uh, later in the 60s. So and uh, just a few uh, after that and not uh, not because he wasn't very public after after he left Doctor Who. There was not a lot that he did in public. Um, Patrick Troughton signed a lot of autographs back in the day. Uh, John Pertwee as well. I've got a Moon Boots uh, signed by John Pertwee at, uh, and he signed it right in front of me. So it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, Tom Baker, I, I get a, I get a greeting card from Tom Baker every year at Christmas time. Um, he's a, he's a fun guy. He's a wonderful man. Uh, looks like we lost David could be technical, uh, <laughs> a technical glitch there, but uh, anyhow, um, I want to thank uh, my panelists for joining us today on the Doctor Who Collectors podcast, this first uh, Collectors Roundtable. So we had with us uh, Chris DeLuca, David Russell, and Elwithas Pagan. Um, so thank you, Mo. Well, let's say, actually, let me get David back in the room here. We, we lost you for just a second there, David. Yeah, no, I do. Uh, <laughs> there. And, and sorry, Elwithas, that was really rude. You were just telling me what was that. I think I just heard you say, obviously, getting Hartnell's autograph was a big thing for you. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, the Hartnell autograph. And, rude. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, actually, we're just, just here to wrap up. I'll, I'll, I'll start this again. But I want to thank um, my group here today, Mr. David Russell, uh, Chris DeLuca, Elwithas Pagan, uh, for joining us today on the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. The money to be paid from your private purse. Ah! You spake. And now it's time for the outrageous offer. Um, today's outrageous offer was uh, shared with me by Tim Drury, and we thank you for your uh, for your contribution. Um, it hosts a Doctor Who original Cyberman helmet, and it looks like from the Moon Base or Tomb of the Cybermen, um, and. It was basically uh, from the Longleat uh, Convention. This it's been removed from sale by the auction house. Great effort by drawing attention to it. Utmost respect, Omega Auctions, for listing and investigating genuine concerns and upholding strong principles. Um, the starting bid was two thousand uh, pounds. There's some doubt as to whether or not it's authentic. So be careful when you look at original props, uh, usually there's some kind of an authentication or if they're purchased from the celebrity themselves, um, just be really careful. Back in the early days, I remember being with a friend um, at a, the 85 Spirit of Light convention and he really wanted John Pertwee's green velvet tuxedo from, I believe it was uh, the Green Death. Um, and I'm, if I'm wrong, I will correct that. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But um, it was actually put up for sale, and the money was going for charity, and John Pertwee himself um, authenticated the 
tuxedo as the one he wore in the episode. And he did buy it, and he still has it. So be very careful out there. If you have an item that seems too outrageous or even too good to be true, drop us a line. You can share it on our Facebook page at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast or shoot us an email at Doctor Who Collectors podcast at gmail.com. Put in the subject line, outrageous offer, and I'm happy to share those on the podcast. Sad, Red, isn't it? People spend all that time making nice things and other people come along and break them. And now for collection protection. Protecting your collectibles is very important. And as always, I like the products at Bags Unlimited. They are not a sponsor. Uh, but they are my personal preference for collecting all of my collectibles with regard to Doctor Who. You can reach them uh, at bagsunlimited.com or at 800-767-2247. They've added a couple of new products to their lineup in the last uh, few weeks, and it concerns uh, long-playing records, LPs or vinyl records. Uh, These are brand new products. Uh, So they are calling them BoxPro SnugFit LP Jacket Box Protector. Uh, It's made from 12 mil crystal clear archival semi-ridge polyester. Uh, It has a slit lock top closure and a slit lock bottom closure. Tongue tuck closure flaps are located on the same side of the box. Boxes come with a removable protective film to prevent scratches. Measure the record jacket before purchasing. Uh, The dimensions are 12 and 7 sixteenths by 12 and 7 sixteenths by 3 sixteenths on the inside. Um, So that's a brand new product. You can get five of those for $12.50. They also have the thick LP box set box protector, which is 13 by 13 by 1 and 1 eighth, which might fit some of your box sets. Um, Probably not going to fit the Dalek Master Plan. That's over, um, I believe, an inch and a half. Um, but this might, this might protect that. I'm going to measure it and find out. Um, and this is the same exact thing, except it's a little bit bigger and you can get five of these for 1350. So if you're into the record business, they have a brand new, uh, for, or if you're selling in the record business, audio cassettes, (laughs) um, they also have a brand new poly bubble mailer, which mails one audio cassette, uh, measuring three and seven eighths and six and three quarters on the inside outside. It's four by eight. You can get 25 for those for $10. Again, bags unlimited incorporated. They've been around for a long time. I've been using them since 1981. I prefer them. Where to now, Ace? Home. Home? The TARDIS. Yes, the TARDIS. There are worlds out there where the sky is burning, where the seas sleep and the rivers dream. People made of smoke and cities made of song. Some of there's danger, some of there's injustice, and somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. A special thanks to our guests, Chris DeLuca, David Russell, and Elwithis Pagan for joining us on our first roundtable. I hope to hear you next time. Now, we're going to close out our podcast with a little audio from 1979, the group Mankind and Doctor Who.